Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to another episode of Don't Keep Your Day Job. Happy New Year. I cannot believe we made it to the end of this year. If someone would have told us what was coming, can you remember when you were told they were going to shut things down for two weeks? I remember as a parent, I was like, how are we going to deal with the kids being home for two weeks? Then it was four weeks. Then it was five months. Then it was 10 months. And look at us. Look at us. It's truly remarkable that we've, we've gotten to the end of the year and, uh, and boy, do we need a new year? Do we need to usher in the new? And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we will not lose whatever the lessons were from this year. I'm hoping that we will take with us immense gratitude for our health. I'm hoping that we will take with us the stillness and we will really have gotten a sense of what, what do we really want our life to look like? What do we want to be intentional about? And so I want to do a giveaway. I want to toast to the new year. I'm going to give two of you, so we'll pick two of you who do this, uh, Tiffany's Champagne Flutes. I want to toast to what is coming. I want to toast to the intention that we are setting. You know, so much is possible in the realm of possibilities, right? There's evidence of so much, so many different paths that we can choose to take and we get to decide, right? So much of our personal reality has to do with the choices we make and with the things that we think and with the way those thoughts make us feel. And so we can make it different. We can write a new story going into 2021. So let's toast to that. So if this show has been, if it's been inspiring, if you feel like this show is worthy of leaving a review for. If you already did it, then awesome. But leave a review for the show and go ahead and send me an email or a DM on Instagram with a screenshot of the review. If you DM me, just send me the review. I'll know exactly what it is. If you send me an email at hello at don'tkeepyourdayjob.com, just uh, in the subject line of the email, put 2021, but send a screenshot of your review and, uh, and then come to Instagram and, and say, hi, follow me on Instagram. I'll give two of you who leave a review, a set of champagne flutes, and I will send champagne to your home, but there's more. I will also give each of you a partial scholarship to made to do this because made to do this is really what I've come to understand is my work in the world. And I feel so incredibly grateful that what I have realized is that my work is to help other people find what it is that they were put here to do. And this is my thing. And over the last year, we've seen over a, a thousand people graduate from Made to Do This and start to do their work on a daily basis. Made to Do This is 12 weeks of idea to income and the doors are not open yet. The doors will open in a few weeks, but it will sell out. We know that because we already have a long wait list and we've already been seeing people um, joining. So um, we are excited. We are excited to welcome uh, you in just a few weeks. Stay tuned because I will also be doing a free five-day workshop. It's called It's Your Turn because it is your turn to step up and to claim your magic. And we'll talk about that on Monday's episode in more detail. Also, one thing I'd love to hear from you, if you're going to email me anyway, a screenshot of your review, do you want more podcasts? I've been thinking that for 2021, I might do a podcast every day. So Mondays and Thursdays, as you already know, we put out a full episode. But what if on the days in between, you just got a little nugget, 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes of just a dose of some juicy stuff that's going to help you with your mindset to help you plug back into what you really know is true. If that feels exciting and you like that idea, let me know. 
Cause if, if you don't want it or you don't feel like you need it, then maybe, maybe I won't. But, um, I just feel inspired to connect more and to sort of be here with you. Like, dear diary, day one, 2021, let's do this. Day two, let's do this together. Let's make this, uh, the best year ever. We didn't come this far just to come this far. And, and what we've been through this year is on the same, you know, it's on par with, with some of the biggest things that have happened in history. And we're moving through it. We're not completely on the other side, that's for sure, but we're, we're moving through it. We can see the light coming over the horizon. So I think this can be an incredible year and I want to spend more and more time with you. All right. With that, let's celebrate more of some of the best moments of 2020. On Monday, we shared part one, which was a full episode of amazing wisdom from guests like Seth Godin, Malcolm Gladwell, Patrice Washington, Matthew McConaughey, and a few others. And today we're sharing more epic pieces from some of the incredible people we've had on the show this year, like Martha Beck, Rob Lowe, Byron Katie, Bob Goff, and a few more. So we're first going to start with this clip from the awesome comedian, Kevin Nealon. He shared his advice on dealing with imposter syndrome and why he would actually pursue the things that scare him. What's your advice for getting over that feeling of imposter syndrome that people sometimes carry so heavily? For me, it was just confronting it and just putting yourself, throwing yourself into it and knowing this is what you want to do. And if, you know, and if you really want to do it, you have to take that step forward and just kind of trust that it'll be okay. Trust the process. I mean, I remember doing The Tonight Show for the first time, which was much more intimidating than doing SNL. Mm -hmm. I had cotton mouth. You know, I I forgot my act walking out to the spot. I couldn't remember my act. And I had been doing my act in my head over and over and over. And I just blanked out. And luckily, by the time the last hand stopped clapping in the audience, it came back to me. But I was so nervous as I was smiling, uh, as I was doing my act, my lips were sticking to my gums with my cotton mouth, you know? Yeah. And so I think afterwards I was so relieved and I was so happy and so proud of myself for, you know, pushing my, not even pushing myself, but just giving myself that opportunity yes. and following through on it and not being afraid. Even though I was afraid, I still did it, you know? Yeah, that's so beautiful. And people say all the time, you know, it's not the goal, it's who we get to become in, in chasing the goal. And I love how you just said that, that you gave yourself that opportunity, that you pushed yourself, because that's really probably the most satisfying part of your career in a sense is that you continue to push yourself to create the next thing and to show up for whatever it is that you're, whatever there you go, I'm doing it. And then you grow from that as a person. It really is true. I mean, you know, uh, and I will also say to couple that for a while after that, you know, when I started trying everything, I sort of became numb to fear. I, I started becoming dead inside because nothing frightened me anymore because I put myself out there at the things that scared me. Yeah. And then I, one morning I thought to myself, I need to do something else that scares me that I've been avoiding. Mm-hmm. And um, because I, I was, I think I turned, I don't know, 50 or something. And I said, I'm going to do things that scare me. And what are they? And one of them was the Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. And the other one was Bill Maher, real time. Mm-hmm. And I avoided both of those shows because the material on real time frightened me because I wasn't a political pundit. Yeah. And then the Stern show I avoided because, you know, all on SNL, he would make fun of everybody. And, you know, and it always, anytime he started going into the field of SNL, I would turn it off, yep. you know, but his interviewing techniques changed. And I think his persona and his attitude changed over the years. I think mm-hmm. as he got more comfortable and more successful yeah. and his interviews became really good. And so I threw myself into that. And after doing like the Stern show for the first time, it was the same kind of feeling I had after doing the Tonight Show. You know, I confronted my fears and it turned out to be fantastic. And I had a great time and I've done it like four times or something since then. And the same with the Bill Maher show. I went on there and I kind of boned up on the topics of the day and and I had a really good time. I did that several times too. And I was really proud of myself for just, you know, putting myself in that situation and not just sitting back and letting time go by and just kind of sitting with my fears. Yes. Yes. So good. I love that story. Okay. Now let's hear from the best-selling author, Bob Goff. He said something about courage that I've repeated so many times, and I know it's helped a lot of my students when they're standing on the edge and they're about to do something that terrifies them. Take a listen. I love the adventure. I love doing something. And I got that movie, uh, We Bought a Zoo. 
And there's a scene in there and it said, all you need is 20 seconds of just insane courage. And so most of us can muster 20 seconds of just insane courage to make the invitation, take the step, make the call, send a text. And sometimes this text doesn't need this big, long, lengthy thing. What if there's somebody that you've been alienated from and just send them a one-word text, just say, sorry. Don't say like, sorry, you suck. Just say, sorry, right? And so sorry for the loss of all this. You don't have to be pen pals, but I'm just saying, I, I just wouldn't carry that around in there pocket. If you want to send them a really long one, just say really sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Just say, I'm just freeing myself up. I wish you well on your adventure. I don't know if you're ahead of me on the trail or behind me on the trail. I'm just delighted we're on the same trail for a period of time. I could hear you on the trail and that what was, what was causing some problems, but I can't hear you now. And, uh, and so kind of making peace with that. So you can meet new you. I love that so much. 20 seconds of courage. Okay, now we're going to move on to someone who is a good friend of Bob's, and she's become such a dear friend of mine. I'm talking about Jamie Kern Lima, the founder of It Cosmetics. Such a gem. She's such a powerhouse. I mean, she was a Denny's waitress who went on to build a billion-dollar company. Unbelievable. I want to play this epic moment about the first time she was on QVC to sell her products because it really changed the trajectory of her journey and it contains such an important lesson. Take a listen. Here's the stressful part is in in QVC Beauty's consignment, which means we had to pay for all of the inventory. So we had to borrow money to uh, manufacture. It was like $150-something thousand dollars at retail. A product. But if it didn't sell in those 10 minutes, it would get shipped back to us and we wouldn't be paid for it, which meant we would have gone out of business. So what happened was this defining moment where I'm like, oh my goodness, the whole like future of my company, if we're going to stay alive or go bankrupt, it's going to come down to this one 10 minute window. And by the way, if you go live, right, and your 10-minute clock starts ticking down, if you're not doing well, meaning you're not hitting their sales goals by the minute, your time gets cut. So no you, yeah, so it can jump, like you might be at eight minutes left, and if you're not doing well, boom, you're down to two minutes, and they'll put on like someone else, like maybe uh, Apple iPhone or yeah. you know another company that can hit those sales numbers. So you really get one shot to hit that goal. And so here's one of the defining lessons I've ever learned as an entrepreneur, but also just as a human being, yep. um, that one shot was so much pressure. And what I did is I flew out to QVC a week early before that airing. And I sat in this rental car in the QVC parking lot. And it's this like massive campus. And I just was freaking out, but just praying, trying to figure out what to do because we had hired these third-party consultants who are awesome. They help a lot of people do really well selling on television. And they all told me the same thing, which is if you're going to have any chance of doing well, which most people don't, you're going to need to do this, which is use this exact type of model, the type I'd always seen in magazines, right? With perfect mm-hmm. skin, no skin issues, the same age and skin tone. And here's how you produce your cell, which is your honor presentation. Yeah. And I was like, okay, but... I created like, like this goes against everything I've created. Yeah, totally. And it's like, my gut was like, oh my gosh. Okay. But if I'm sitting at home and I have hyperpigmentation or maybe I'm 70 years old or me, you know, and I want to see someone who looks like me, or maybe I'm, you know, this skin tone or this skin challenge. Like, how do I know it's going to work for me if I don't see someone who looks like me? And we would argue about this and like, they met well, they wanted us to succeed, but again, it was their very best advice. And so I sat in that rental car, just like literally crying. And I felt the weight of the world because it's one thing to say, oh, I believe in my mission and my why. It's another thing to go, okay, but if I follow it, everyone's saying I'm going to fail and I'm going to go bankrupt and lose everything. And it was like literally that moment. And I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And I just, I remember envisioning like who that person is sitting on the other side of the television. And I would think about all different women across the country and like, you know, whether she was 
a super busy, like stay at home mom who like forgot that she was beautiful or mattered and like hadn't, hadn't seen someone that looked like her on television. Like I, I just, I got to this point where I realized I would rather have her look up on the screen and like see me on there showing my rosacea, showing women that look like her and calling yep. them beautiful yep. than like do what everyone else was doing and sell all this product and stand for nothing. Uh-huh. And it was a moment where I felt like was the riskiest thing I've ever done. And I remember walking into the studio for that 10 minute segment. And I remember meeting with the host and I was like freaking out, shaking and so stressed out. My rosacea was so red, which was great for the TV, but I was so stressed out. And I remember the clock starting at 10 minutes and it was like 9.59, 9.58, 9.57. And my bright red bare face before a shot came up and I walked over to these models that were all ages and sizes and skin challenges. And I remember when we got to the nine minute mark and the host was like the deep shade sold out, the medium shade sold out. And I was just like freaking out. And then at the oh 10 minute God. mark, the sold out sign came up across the screen and I started crying on television and yeah. then they cut from me and I remember the producer in my ears like are you okay are you okay are you gonna faint and then I remember looking over and my um, husband came running in the studio and he's like we're not going bankrupt oh and I was God. like crying I'm like real women have spoken and uh, <laughs> it was this moment where I realized you know his people are, are buying something they can't even try yet yeah, yeah. but the story I was sharing was a million percent authentic and vulnerable. That's it. It's like I owned it, even though the experts told me it wouldn't work. And Mm. from that moment on, a lot of things shifted. It turned to, we did five shows that year and then 101 the next year. And I grew to 250 a year. Oh my God. Um, And I did them all myself for eight years. And because this was 2010 when we launched on QVC, we grew to the biggest beauty brand in QVC history and still are to this day. And the reason I share that is because they said no for three years and said it would never work. And then by the time we got a chance and then they became the most incredible partners. I could seriously put that story on repeat over and over again. Our next clip is from one of my favorite actors, Rob Lowe. It was such a treat to have him here. He was so kind and so charming and very, very hot. And I asked him what has helped him create and sustain such a successful career throughout all the decades. And here's what he said. So many people have this dream and then you have a nonstop career. What do you attribute that to? I mean, you're so humble. You really are. So it's probably hard to answer that about yourself. But what do you think that is about you? What do you think that is about other people if they're able to sustain success? What do you think makes that possible? Well, it's the difference between having the dream and realizing it, that's one element. But I think your question is really the sustainability of a success once you get it. And there's a, a couple of keys, at least for me. One was the ability to stay curious and interested and connected to real life and not just live in a, in a success bubble. That enables you to reinvent yourself. Because um, reinventing yourself is key. The new version of you is really important, not just in, in finding success in terms of business and passion and dreams, but just in terms of growth. You know, I'm glad I'm not the same guy I was in my 20s that I am now in my 50s. And the same is true for my career. You know, I'm doing stuff now in my 50s I never would have done or thought about doing in my 20s. And the way I'm driven to do that is by curiosity and staying interested and and seeing what new opportunities the world has. And the only way you have that is by continuing to pay attention. That's awesome. And one of the things that people say about you behind your back is that you're one of the hottest people walking the earth ever. <laughs> but the other thing they say about you is that you have this grace, this humility where most people who were like the single biggest heartthrob, right, when they were young, that's it. And you're willing to like be silly and laugh at yourself and like be in these roles where you're like that guy who everyone's kind of laughing at, but like, you're okay with that. And Mm. I just feel like that says so much about you. And where did that come from that you became this leading comedic guy after being like the pinup poster guy? 
Like, did you ever think that that would happen? And like, where does that comedy all of a sudden come from? What made that pivot? Well, thank you. It's, it's very nice of you to say. I, I, first of all, I love making fun of myself. Oh, look, all my heroes had the ability to make fun of themselves in great ways. If you look at like, let's, I'm just, for example, look at JFK. Guy's a stud. He's JFK. He's great looking. He's JFK. But if you look at his press conferences, and I recommend to anybody, if you want to look at how different our world is, go to YouTube and look at a JFK press mm. conference. It's like a stand-up comedy act. Really? He's funny about himself, 100% self-deprecating, and you just love him for it. And I've always liked humor, comedy. I grew up watching Saturday Night Live. I was obsessed, more obsessed, frankly, with early Saturday Night Live than, than movies, really. And I got a chance to work with Lauren Michaels and those guys in the, I, when I hosted the show three times and the shows were all fun and I had a blast. And then that went into the Wayne's Worlds and the Austin Powerses and the Tommy Boys. Oh my God. But they were just the people that tapped into what was already there. You know, an actor is only as good as the roles they're given. And, you know, up until then, I was the guy on the wall, which, by the way, a poster is two-dimensional when you think about it. Right. Right? And they saw me as having more to offer, and I'm sort of internally in their debt. You know, I did a, a Comedy Central roast where I got roasted. I don't know if you've ever seen the Comedy Central roast. It's, I have, and I've seen that one, and you were such a good sport. Oh, I my got, God. I yeah. get destroyed. And by the way, I had fun. I think, like, I'm, I'm horrible at math, by the way. I've designed my whole life <laughs> so I can avoid doing anything to do with math. So this analogy, I'm going to screw up because it's a math analogy. But basically, there's got to be some direct correlation between your ability to take a joke and how three-dimensional you actually are. We had a couple other guests who've had long, legendary Hollywood careers. First up, Yardley Smith, whose voice you're going to recognize because she plays the one and only Lisa Simpson. And Yardley was so open about the behind the scenes of her life, which was really generous of her. I think so often we assume that these famous actors and artists and entrepreneurs have it all together. We forget that they're human, you know, just like us. And they've had to figure out how to deal with those negative thoughts and feelings just like us. Let's take a listen. I'm actually afraid of everything. I really am. I have terrible anxiety. And I have days where I talk about perfectionism. I can hardly get out of the closet, right? And I always say, I'm actually not fearless. I just have this overabundance of courage to overcome wow. my terrible fear of everything. And um, I love that. That's so beautiful. I, in my really later in life, because I, my perfectionism, I mean, there's that great phrase, perfection is the enemy of good. Yeah, that's right. And I learned that so late, you know, perfectionism will make you so miserable because of course you can't achieve it. And what it does is it robs you of your successes. Right. And I would say I have a terrible memory, but really what is it, what it is, is that I was just never present. So because I was always about what's not yet done. So what that does is you achieve something and then we focus on the people who don't like us. We focus on the things that didn't go right, as opposed yeah. to patting ourselves on the back for the things that did go right, yeah. tiny things, the big things. And so you miss the, the victories along the way. And, you know, I, I won an Emmy in 1992. I was one of the first voiceover actors to win an Emmy when they opened the category to voiceover That's actors. That's so cool. Being able to win an Emmy. Yeah. And Boy, do you deserve it. Oh, my God. Thank you. At that time, it was what they call a juried award. So more than one person could win the Emmy. There were six of us who won. The four family members on The Simpsons, plus Marsha Wallace for Mrs. Krabappel and um, Jackie Mason. So yeah. uh, he won as well. So I won the Emmy. And those. so it's given at, uh, there are two Emmy award ceremonies for your listeners who may not know. There are the Creative Arts Emmys, where they give, you know, makeup artists and the voiceover Emmy as well. And then the following week, usually, uh, they do the televised Emmys, which they call the Primetime Emmys. So I was presenting at the Primetime Emmys. And as I walked down the red carpet that night at the Primetime Emmys, nobody asked me about winning my voiceover Emmy. Hmm. So in my mind, I think, oh, I guess that Emmy doesn't count. I guess it there's no value there. So my Emmy sat in the closet for nine years. 
And I only tell that story because there I was could literally so cry thinking of how that felt. It's so that is unbelievable that you be walking down the red carpet and no one's asking about that and how invisible that makes you feel and how small that makes you feel. That was And it. this is what people don't get because they look at you and they go, oh, she's lucky. She's wealthy. She got a break. She's got it all. And it's like, you're working so hard. People don't recognize how much work goes into doing this. You're great at it. No one's better than you guys. You're, you're it. And then no one's seeing it. It's just like, it's invisible. See, this is what's so brave and generous about you right now, because you, this is what people need to hear. You are so relatable and it's so beautiful that you'd be brave enough to share that. Thank you. You know, you, what I've learned is really the hard way. It took me so long. And I, I know you talk about being in therapy. I love therapy. I, I'm oh, yeah. I like going somewhere and teasing apart the things in my head with somebody who doesn't have any attachment to the outcome. Right. Right. And also I've, you know, learned to try to do certain things. Like if I can't get out of my closet and I think, my God, I just feel fat today. Yeah. I think, okay, who are five people, name five people in your life, Yardley, who don't think you're fat. Right, right. And right. then I'll, I go, okay, okay, I can do that. <laughs> and then I have little, um, you know how you, I know you talk about this in your book, that our thoughts create these little, literally these physical rivulets in our brains. Right, neural pathways. So, yeah. Cognitive behavioral therapy, I think the premise is that you sort of reroute those rivulets. That's right. And so I have a couple of little phrases that I'll repeat in the car or in the shower, like happy, healthy, wealthy, or thrive, live, love, mm -hmm. or thrive, live, give. Yeah. To sort of, again, just as a little meditation that I can do okay. without running off the road, right? Such a powerful reminder. Another person who has had one of the most respected careers in entertainment is the phenomenal filmmaker, David Lynch. I loved how he described the creative process and pointed out that it's not the result we're seeking, it's the feeling that we get when we're making and doing. What would you say to someone who doesn't believe that they should put an idea out there or raise their hand or do anything because... They don't believe that they're enough. They don't believe that people would see them or that there's anything possible for them. And so they just kind of decide to sit on the bench their whole life and not, not get in the game because they're not enough. Okay. So what I say is like, he's like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just tell them it doesn't matter if they are worried about what other people think that's the the wrong way to th to think about it they should just think about enjoying something that they like doing like say drawing so they go and they get a piece of paper and a pencil or whatever they want to draw with and do a little drawing get into it if that's your thing do this drawing and then Get it as good as you can do. Who cares what anybody thinks about it except you and the enjoyment of doing it? Now you finish this little drawing, you put it over here, and you've got an idea. Oh, and you get the, another piece of paper and you do another drawing. And it's so much fun. You're drawing this thing. You're seeing how it's going. You're learning more about what the pencil does with this particular roughness of paper you're working it you're getting this thing just the way you like it and you're into it and you get a coffee and you kick back every now and again and look at your drawing and you get back in and working on it who cares what anybody thinks now somebody comes in and says what is that that's one of the ugliest drawings i ever seen in my life sorry you know i i like it and then you, you know, you go like that. You never know what people are going to think. Just find some things and just do them. If you get an idea for a sh little short film, 
you can get a camera, you can go around and find somebody to be an actor in it, get them dressed up, find a way to get them dressed up. You go down to Goodwill, you can afford to get a couple of, oh, look at that thing. That'd be so great. And then you get this and you get that, you get your stuff and you start shooting this thing. You learn about editing, you put it together, you learn all sorts of stuff by doing, by doing, not by reading a book. Now you're making the thing. You're making a film. And when you finish it, you can submit it to festivals. If nobody likes it, fine. You like it. You learned a lot. Make another one. It's this whole thing about I'm not good enough. Who cares? You're not good enough. Who says I'm not good enough? You just, you know, do what you love to do. And the reward is in the doing. And you get a final thing. You can hang it on your wall or you can plug it in and look at it. And, you know, it's, it's your life. And not everybody's going to be, you, I'll tell you another thing. Fate, if it's meant that you would be known, it will happen. If it's meant that you're not going to be known this time around, you're not going to get known. But you can be very happy in the doing of things. And that's the number one thing. Do things that make you happy. The reward is in the doing. So, so good. This year, we also had the honor of sharing another conversation with the amazing life coach and best-selling author, Martha Beck. I've loved her work for so long, and it was such a blessing to have her back on the show. She had some great advice about letting yourself explore your true nature and how that can lead to what you're really meant to do. To be true to yourself is to be true to your original nature. And the opposite of nature in many ways is culture. So when you're born, you're just pure nature. But by the time you're just a few months old, you're getting socialized to fit in with culture. And sometimes those go together. If your mom feeds you when you're hungry, there's no difference between culture and nature. But if your family says, no, you must only eat at appointed hours, you'll put aside your nature to go with your culture because the most important thing to us is to belong. So as children, we start drifting from our true selves very early. If you watch an animal or a, a young baby, they aren't ever bored. They are never apart from their true selves and they're always fascinated by something. They're always figuring things out. They play, it's, we call it play. But if you don't have a lot of stories in your head about what you need to do, you continue to play throughout your life. And one of the things that makes humans unique is something called neoteny, which is a mutation that means that we don't ever go through the change at puberty that other like primates go through where we stop growing and learning we remain in that rapid growth and learning stage throughout our lives if we continue to play. But most of us get caught in culture and we start doing things by rote. We have to go to school in certain ways. And my big soapbox is schools are designed to create factory workers. That's why they put same age children at same size desks, make them all do the same problems. That's not the way the human brain learns best. The human brain learns best outside, in motion, using all five senses, solving problems that are real, like what do I eat? How do I make a fire? So if we're allowed to play, we play toward our true nature. But after, if we've been separated from play long enough, we don't even know where the track of our true nature is. It's like our true nature is an animal that went off into the bush and we're way over in some job under fluorescent lights. And we can't even see its tracks, let alone what our true nature really is. So I actually help people and I've actually done animal tracking to help people. What we always say is go back to the last hot track. You can't find an animal if you're just standing around and there are no tracks and you're going, well, I need to know where it is. You have to go back to a place where you either saw the animal or you saw something that was a sign it was there. And in our lives, that sign is what I call the ring of truth. It's a sense of joy and rightness and sort of click of, yes, this is, this is right for me. So I call it the sense of truth. And wherever you felt that, you go back to the last time you felt it, and you can be guaranteed that if you go to that place and start looking around you, 
you'll begin to find things that are uniquely fascinating to you. I've heard fascination defined as attention without effort. And that's what children and young animals do. So when you're fascinated, you start to move forward on this track and you discern what it is you are meant to do. I don't believe there are any two tracks that are the same. There aren't roads. I mean, look at what's happened in the culture in the last year. Everything has changed and everything's going to continue to change more and more rapidly. Even if we're done with pandemic and everything, the change levels are incredible. So a lot of people are in jobs that never existed until like a year ago. Other people are in jobs that have existed for a hundred years and now are going away. And we have to be able to follow the tracks of our own true nature to find our vocation in life. And everyone has one. You're right. I've coached thousands of people, everyone from homeless people on the street to billionaires have that sense of purpose. And it always brings them joy, fascination, and peace. And this is a great time to go looking for it. I love Martha Beck so much. Um, Somebody else who is filled to the brim with wisdom is probably my greatest teacher in this life, Rabbi David Aaron. He came on the show twice this year and shared some really important messages that we all need to write down to highlight, to post on our wall, whatever it takes to drill this into our mind and in our hearts. This first one is about reframing the question to find your purpose. Take a listen. The thing is that one of the biggest things we found in this doing this podcast is that everyone's teaching people on their shows how to build a business, how to be successful. We realized that 80% of our audience didn't know what their thing was. So before I can build it, what the heck is my thing, right? There's a big existential crisis around what the heck is my purpose, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of times we have an idea of what it is and then the, that door doesn't open. So we say, oh, see, that didn't work. How do we figure out what my purpose is? Right. So growing up, the common question we ask our children or I was asked as a child is, what do you want to be when you grow up? As if I would know what I want to be when I grow up. Right. But really the question that we should be asked, and maybe we can't answer it as children, is what problem do you want to be part of solving in the world? You see, we have an idea in our teachings that, that the world needs tikkun, fixing. And that we're all really repair people. What is the problem in the world that disturbs you that you'd like to be part of solving? That's where your purpose is waiting for you. And so um, I think that's where we start in terms of finding our purpose. And starting off with saying, I just want to be in service. I just want to help fix a little bit more of what's broken. And so what is it you, you notice that's broken. If you see it's broken, then so go be part of fixing it. Yeah. Mm. What problem in the world do you want to solve? So important. Here's another beautiful message from Rabbi David Aaron about why your pain and sadness can actually be a good sign. I think your publisher was right for people to believe the things that you just said. You're needed. You're unique. You're of course, you know, and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But why is it that it's so hard to believe this? Why is it? And what does it take to start to believe and to start to open our hearts to the belief that what you're saying is real? Well, I call it not fake it till you make it, but fake it till you awake it. Because I believe within us, dormant, sleeping, if we're in pain, about feeling bad about ourselves, that's a sure sign that we know that there's something great about us because you'd get used to it. You know what I mean? If a person deeply feels sad about their wasted potential, that itself is a tremendous testimony that you know there's potential there because if there wasn't potential there, you wouldn't be sad about the lack of uh, you know, actualizing it. So in a very strange way, the struggle and the pain that we're feeling about not letting our light shine is a testimony that we know there must be a light there waiting to shine because otherwise, at some point, we just chill out, forget about this and get on with our lives. But we can't get on with our lives because something deep inside us is telling us that there's more to who we are 
and we owe it to ourselves and others to share that. And so I, I think the very fact that we don't feel loved and feel upset about that is an incredible testimony that we know we deserve to be loved. Otherwise, why would we even have that expectation and why would we even be upset by it? You know, I, I'm not upset about dust outside. It has nothing to do with me. I get upset with things that really have something to do with me. And so the, the very fact that we're troubled by our life situation is a testimony that our life really matters. Because if we really, really, really believe that our life did matter, then we wouldn't even be struggling with this question. We wouldn't even be having this conversation. And so the fact that you feel disturbed or distraught or even saddened by your life situation is actually a good sign. You know, yesterday I went to the dentist and I told him that after he did some dental work, the sensitivity over there on that tooth to heat and cold, he said, if it hurts, it's a good sign that it's still alive. <laughs> and he said, otherwise you'd need root canal. He said, so I believe that, you know, if we're hurting, that's a good sign that we're alive and we're ready to be healed. But when you're not hurting, that's a sign that you must be dead. So if you're hurting and you're yearning and you're struggling and you're crying, that's a sign that deep down inside you're alive and you just haven't figured out how to let it shine, but you know it's there and you know it's waiting. I just love that so much. We were also blessed to have the great Byron Katie on the show this year. She's a best-selling author and she created this transformative process called The Work. I wanted to play a part of our conversation where she walked me through the steps of the work and actually helped me have a breakthrough. I think a lot of people had different kinds of experiences, but in my house, my parents made me their therapist and told me their sexual issues, their financial issues. My mom was suicidal. My dad was like a rageaholic, alcoholic, and they praised me for helping them and listening to them and hearing all the horrible details. And then they would also be violent. So I felt I had to do all of that to be loved. I couldn't just eat a sandwich and sit on the couch. And so it's it causes me a lot of work today yeah. and a lot of yeah. yeah so you felt you i heard you say you felt you had to do all of that so that's powerful you had to do all of that yeah is it true no 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 they praise you and praise you praise you you had to do all of that is it true no no and how do you react Look at your life growing up when you believed the thought. You had to do all of that. Oh, my God. I mean, I've had so many times where I have shingles or pneumonia or so much just from pushing it all the way because I have to do it. Like it's like a it's 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 such an old hardwired role, which I've learned yeah. slowly to untangle from. And I'm sure. Yeah. So now look at your life in that family without the thought, I have to do all of that. Yeah, it's very different. Because you didn't. No. I you didn't have to. It's just a, a lie you were holding. Yeah. And your parents didn't teach you to believe that. They didn't say it was your job. They praised you. Mm-hmm. That's true. And then they take the rap for have you having to do all of that. It's just not true. It was self-induced. Mm-hmm. I have to do all of that to be loved, turn it around, to be loved. I don't. I didn't. You know, that's amazing. I mean, I've done so much of this work, but one thing that you just said I've never heard, and it's really interesting. What you just said was, that was self-induced. Self-induced. I didn't have to do all of that to be loved. I, I don't think not. most people think that when they were children and they were put in some abusive situation or whatever it was, that there's any part of it that was self-induced. But it made me cry when you said it because it must be true. Well, look at it. Test it. Did they ever say you have to do all of this to be loved? Those words? No, never. Well, 
they just praised you. I mean, I, my only information is what I'm getting from you. They praised you, and you believe this. I've never heard that before. It was so powerful. I also love this interview we did with Dan Harris. He's an ABC News anchor, and he created 10% Happier. A big thing we talked about is shame and how we can deal with those types of negative emotions so they don't control our thoughts and behaviors. Here's what he said. Shame is totally useless. And it is actually egotistical because it's taking whatever you're embarrassed about and making it all about you. Whereas there's a sort of warmer, depersonalized view that you can start to look at your own ugliness with some warmth and without personalizing it so much. So that's, there's two things there. One is to see that, okay, so for me, I definitely have a pronounced selfish streak. What is that? Well, that's just like some program that was injected into me by the culture, by my parents or whatever that I developed as a five-year-old to protect myself. So this is Mm -hmm. the organism trying in an awkward and not so skillful way to protect itself. So can you view that as like, all right, you know, uh, blow that neurotic program a kiss and then don't be owned by it. So you don't have to struggle with it so much. You don't have to slay the dragons as like give them a hug. And that is a kind of radical disarmament that allows you not to be so owned by the parts of your personality that you don't like. And to see it not as so personal, some unique bespoke dysfunction, but as, you know, just one aspect of the human repertoire. Our next clip is from my interview with Ian LaPatton. Uh, I love Ian. He created one of my favorite clothing brands, Spiritual Gangster. He shared a story that I haven't heard before, and I thought it was so beautiful. I wanted to play it for you again. So what do you say to someone when they're like, what's my thing? Like, what was I put in the world to do? I have no clarity on that. So I'm just going to wait until I get an email from God with like my, you know, what I'm supposed to do with my life. What do you say to that? So my dad told me one of his greatest advice to me is always like, you'll figure it out. And I think you have to realize you'll figure it out. And I think that, you know, you just kind of start moving down the path and things appear to you as you go. You know, there's actually a great story. And it talks about like in in, uh, Jewish mythology, there's like seven gates to get the kingdom of heaven. And the way it works is until you shut that other gate and walk away, the next gate doesn't appear. So there's part of it is like, you know, even from quitting my law job to become a yoga teacher, quitting my selling my yoga business to now get an apparel all of which I knew nothing about the next step, right? But you have to actually close the other door and go, and then all of a sudden the path appears once you start walking. Um, and I that's think that's what powerful. happens in life. I mean, everything, I'm a big believer, everything in life is coming from me. So, you know, you get what you put out there, and that's the whole idea of karma. But things will show up, and I don't want to call it magically appear for you, but things appear for you to help you on your way right when they're needed. You know, now I, I rely on those things happening and showing up. That's amazing. I've never heard that story. I don't know how, how I missed it, but that's an amazing. It's like the Tony Robbins, like you got to burn the boats, you know, you take the island, you burn exactly. the boats. Boom. You got it. And I think there's a big, huge thing that happens energetically when you commit to something and go for it, that then all the powers of the universe come up to assist you. But until you go for it, it doesn't happen. And now let's hear one more unforgettable message from Bob Goff. He was talking about the different roles that he's played in his life and what guided him to have the incredible impact he's made on the world. Take a listen. I think we're all longing for the same stuff, you know, like love, purpose, connection, authentic relationships. And so the things that I was capable of, I'd gone to law school and, and I was a lawyer, kind of did that for a day job and then started spending my time uh, with some people that were hurting and uh, I knew how to be an advocate and, but I've, I've learned that actually what the world needs isn't as many advocates. It just needs people that are available. And so we started some schools and did a couple things in some places. And, and then it turns out that I wasn't as good a lawyer as it would take to uh, have all the money <laughs> to run all this. So I think we were spending like thirty or $40,000 a month on all these different the schools and things we had oh going. Oh my God. So 
it was right about then that a publisher contacted me and said, would you write a book? And I'm like, well, I don't know. Will you build a school? I'll trade you one book for one school. <laughs> so they said, how big's a school? And I said, 1,400 child soldiers and 100 teachers in northern Uganda in the middle of the war. And they said, big school. And I said, big book. <laughs> so I made them pay me in advance because I didn't know if it'd be any good. And then we, uh, we just sold it. We just sent all the money to these different schools and one school became more and more. And so that's what we do now. So I've got a piece oh of paper God. and some file cabinet somewhere that says what I'm capable of, but I'm spending a little bit more time thinking about what I'm longing for. I don't need anybody to know my name. I just want to leave something behind that will outlast me. So I literally have tears streaming down my face. I love that line where you said, it turns out you don't have to be the most knowledgeable, just be available. Yeah, isn't that crazy? None of us can decide when we're born, where we're Ooh. born, how tall we are, but you can decide how available you'll be. Uh, so I put on the last page of uh, 2 million books, <laughs> my cell phone number. And so I get so many phone calls. I bet a hundred a day. It's terrific. I can't get a thing done. Like there's actually somebody calling right now. I'm going to have them call back. <laughs> about just being available. And uh, one of the neat things is that you learn more about yourself. Um, when I answer the phone, I pick up a pen because I'm there to learn. I'm not there to teach. And uh, I feel like my short time here on earth is to learn some stuff and to take note of it and, and to find out how that moves me in the direction of some of these things that I'm longing for the most. He's so right. Just be available. All right, now to close out, I want to play one last clip from Rabbi Aaron about the true meaning of love. I think it's something that most of us struggle with, especially when it comes to loving ourselves. I hope you really take in what he says, and I hope that you carry this with you into the new year. When people say, you know, but I'm not worthy of your life. If you were worthy of my love, it wouldn't be love, it would be business. Business, you have to be worthy for. Love, that's why I love you. I don't love you because you're worthy. I love you because you are. You don't have to be anything more than just being it all. That's the miracle of love itself, is to just love, just to love for no other reason. You know, I remember my wife, I was sitting one night with her and I asked her, I said, Chana, why do you love me? And she said, well, why do you assume that? I said, well, let's assume that for now, for the conversation. And she said, well, Honestly, I don't have any reason to love you. And I was really taken aback by that. I said, you don't have a reason to love me? I mean, you can't find one reason to love me? She said, not only do I have no reason to love you, you wouldn't want me to have a reason to love you. I said, no, I, th I think I would. I think I, I think I would want a reason. She said, if I had a reason to love you, then it would be the reason I love and not you. I love you even when you give me reasons not to. And I do, just to test your love. But love doesn't need a reason. If it had a reason, it wouldn't be love. Love doesn't have to be justified. Love doesn't have to be earned. Because love is a gift. And the more you give it, the more you believe, the more you open your life up to receive it also. And giving love is really the greatest gift you can give yourself. Well, that wraps up 2020. You guys, we did it. We made it through such a heck of a year. Okay, here are the takeaways. Number one, do things that scare you. Confronting your fears can actually feel fantastic. Number two, all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Number three, tell your authentic story. Own it. Number four, stay curious and interested. Stay connected to real life. It enables you to reinvent yourself and pay attention to new opportunities that the world has for you. Number five, don't worry about what other people think. Think about enjoying something you like doing. The reward is in the doing. Number six, to be true to yourself is to be true to your nature. Go back to the last time you felt the ring of truth, the sense of joy and rightness, the click that said, this is right for me. If you go back to that place, you're going to find the things that are uniquely fascinating to you. Number seven, if we're hurting, that's a good sign that we're alive and we know there's a light inside of us that needs to shine. Number eight, depersonalize the unwanted parts of yourself and approach them with warmth. 
Number nine, you're going to figure it out. Start walking and the path will appear. Number 10, the world needs more people who are available. Be available and it'll move you towards what you're longing for. And number 11, love doesn't need a reason. It doesn't have to be justified or earned because love is a gift. The more you give it and believe it, then the more you open your life to receive it. Thank you for being in my life. Thank you for all the love and support throughout this year. I can't tell you what it means to me. You know, we've all gone through so much this year and I had a personal extra struggle with losing a baby in the summer and you guys carried me with so much love through that experience and and through so many other moments. We moved across the country and we've dealt with immediate family members being very, very, very ill and you guys are such a bright spot in my life. So just thank you. You mean so much to me. We're going to be bringing more awesome episodes to you in 2021. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you want to enter this awesome New Year's giveaway, I'm going to be giving away two sets. So two of you, there'll be two winners. You'll each get a set of Tiffany champagne flutes. Plus, I will send you a bottle of beautiful champagne to toast to whatever is your intention for the new year. And I will also be giving each of the winners a partial scholarship to my signature program, Made to Do This, so that you can walk into this year and know for certain that you will do what it is that you were made to do. If you want to enter this giveaway, all you need to do is make sure that you leave a review for the podcast, take a screenshot of it, Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. That's easy. And then follow me on Instagram at kathy.heller and send us an email or a DM with a screenshot of your review. And I'd also love you to tell me, as long as you're going to enter the, the giveaway and send a screenshot, tell me what's your word for 2021. What do you want to create this year? What's your word and why? What do you want your 2021 to be all about? And lastly, If this episode resonated with you, can you think of one person who would be inspired by it? If so, share it, text it, email them the link, or post about it on Instagram and tag me at kathy.heller. And if any one of these guests inspired you, post about it and tag them and tag me. In fact, on my Instagram, I'll be posting a bunch of video clips from a lot of these moments, and you can repost some of those as well. I'll leave you with a song of mine. Happy New Year. God bless everyone, and I'll talk to you in 2021. Who knows what tomorrow holds? So don't hold back your heart. We are not meant to be alone. And to
Does it? 